Welcome to the Learning Laborers Podcast, where we are passionate about integrating scholarship and ministry experience. How's it going, Taylor? It's going well. How are you, Denver? I'm doing good. Enjoyed the Christmas season. Did you? I mean, time with family. We had some sickness plague us, so there was kind of got interrupted a little bit, but it's a little, little lull, you know? More time at home, more time with the kids. It's good. A little more time reading. Speaking of reading, today going to be talking about a particular scholar that you've uh, mm-hmm. read a lot from and have enjoyed and learned a lot sure. from, I think. Yeah. Because... Um, in addition to the interviews, just to, to bring you listeners in, one of the things we want to do with the podcast is to devote some of our episodes to exploring specific topics mm-hmm. in modern scholarship, mm-hmm. um, things that scholars are writing about, talking about, um, that maybe pastors want to be informed on. Mm-hmm. And, and today we're going we're gonna to focus in on grace. So, you know, just a little tiny topic. A marginal topic. <laughs> no, big one. Big uh, yeah, a really big one. Um, and specifically the work that John Barclay has done yes, um, on grace. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to walk us through some of the things that you've learned about grace from Barclay. And Did then, you? and along the way, maybe I'll, I can ask some questions, get some clarifications. Sure. Um, kind of probe further. You've and, also read uh, Barclay, so it's not, you know. Yeah, not the big one. So, so to start off, we should probably mention there's yeah. a couple books that Barclay has written on grace. One is Paul and the Gift. That's mm-hmm. the big one, published, yep. I think, in like 2015. 2015, yes. So you've read that one. I have. Um, I have not. I have read the smaller version, which is called Paul and the Power of Grace. Yeah. And that, I, I think we would probably recommend people begin there. Maybe. Would you? Sure. And, I mean, unless you've got, know you've got the time ready to carve yeah. out for the big one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you read the smaller one, Paul and the Power of Grace, and you want more, you can always go to Paul and the Gift. Yeah. Um, they're both really good. They're both exploring this idea of grace, specifically mm-hmm. in Paul's writings, trying to put him in his historical and cultural context. Yeah. I think he brings up a lot of really good points. Um, mm-hmm. But before you dive into telling us all about it, I thought we should first address the sensitivity of the topic being mm-hmm. grace. I mean, it's particularly within Protestant circles, oh, Protestant yeah. theology. Grace is a big, you uh-huh. know, important word. So yeah. it's saved by grace through faith. Those yep. three words, saved, grace, and faith, are probably some of the <laughs> the biggest, yeah. hottest words it's in one of the theology. So, one of the solas, right? Sola gratia, I believe so. Right, exactly. So how I guess, how, how do we approach a topic like this? Or how do you approach a topic like mm. this? A topic that's maybe sensitive, maybe is is close to the heart of right, right. the foundational things of our faith, the yeah. gospel. How do we... How do we begin to explore topics like this in a way that's intellectually and academically honest, but also, you know, takes into account our our faith tradition? Well, yeah, I think you begin um, kind of pastorally recognizing that sensitivity, right? So the first thing I need to do is recognize that there is a lot of attachments to words like grace, faith, gospel, right? These right. are big, heavy, load-bearing terms. Um, for how we understand um, a, the Christianity, the Bible, uh, Jesus. So mm-hmm. just have to go in recognizing that. 
and not being reckless, right? You don't want to just start saying things that totally <laughs> gets people like, what are you saying? You know, like I've never heard right. that or whatnot. So there is just acknowledging the sensitivity I think is the best. But then right. I think what I start to do when I'm going to talk about um, grace or gospel is um, just throwing out a question. Like when you hear the word grace, what do you think of? What comes to mind? I do this with gospel all the time. Like when you hear gospel, what do you think of? Um, and then just hearing people's responses and fielding that, right? So I'll, I'll ask it to you, Denver. Mm -hmm. When you hear the word grace, just kind of modern assumptions or uh, attachments to that that term, what do you hear? Yeah. I mean, grace has definitely, I think, become a very theological word. Yes. Whereas yeah. in the past, it, it might have had more mundane meanings. Mm. Um, more colloquial meanings. Um, we still use it in some non-theological ways, like right. a grace period. Sure, show some, um, show a little grace. Yeah, show show grace. We call people gracious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those probably are are dancing around the meaning in some way. And so, it, yeah, um, I think it is. It's a very theological term. Um. And then when we're using it as a theological term, what's kind of the kernel of truth or reference there? Yeah, I think usually when people talk about grace, especially God's grace, mm -hmm. they're usually referring to the salvific event hmm. in which God has saved them. So I think it's okay. a it's a lot of times it's 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 caught up with theology of salvation soteriology mm. i think is usually right. how people would use it yeah it just kind of collapses into this just god saved me like reference mm. right like it's right it's um it's almost lost its particular reference and a lot of times it's synonymous with um mercy right a lot when people are talking about grace they're also talking about mercy or they're really right. just talking about god saving them so um one of the things i would point out is just Okay, that's great. These are the assumptions or the the you know attachments that we have to this term. Um, but now let's compare this to how it's used in scripture. Like let's compare it now to what we actually see uh scripture saying when it speaks of grace. And right. probably one of the first places I would go is Galatians one, where Paul defines grace as the giving of Christ. Mm. Um, Christ himself is the grace of God. And that sounds mm. a little odd to us, uh, probably because we don't also see that the Greek word for grace, charis, is a gift language. And it's, right. you know, to your point, it's not used in um, just theological context. It's used in everyday kind of uh, context. So what you're saying, just sorry, just so. No, you're good. Clarify. Whereas good. we in English have two different words, grace and gift, and we mm -hmm. might use them a little differently or in different contexts. In Greek, that's all encompassed by one um, root oh. word, charis, or there might be other words, but the there word, are... the passages that Barclay's exploring, it's one particular word that keeps popping up and that's charis. Mm -hmm. And Paul would use that in context where we would say gift and in context where we would say grace sure. without making distinction. Sure. It's not to say that all um, all grace language 
is gift language. There's some there's some complexity to that, but it's in the same network of words mm. that pertain to gifts. So it is gift okay. language. Um, there's other words for gift in Greek. I think Doron or I'm not a Greek scholar, but there's a whole appendix of of words in the back of Bar- Barclay's book, Paul and the Gift, where he looks at other okay. gift language. So it's just charis isn't the only word for in in Greek for it's the gift. most common. Yeah, it's one of the most common. And basically what Barclay is trying to do um, is show that if you want to understand grace in Scripture, if you want to understand what you know specifically Paul is saying about grace, mm-hmm. you should understand it in this network of gift language and almost think about it, think about it as a gift. Yeah. And so grace is this gift. God is giving something um, at the most basic level. And the the most kind of definitive uh, passage on on what he is giving, and at least in Galatians one, is Christ Himself. Like Christ is this gift. So when mm. Paul is talking about the grace of God, I think what Paul is talking about is the giving of Christ to us, right? Like mm. God is gifting Himself, His very self, in Christ to to people. Yeah. Um. And that's, I mean, just Good. comparing, right, our assumptions with grace language mm-hmm. and maybe Paul's more specific, um, you know, use of the language. There's a little bit of a difference there. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's really good, the, what you mentioned earlier, that the, you know, the guardrails for the whole conversation is scripture. It's the text going mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. to the text. And that's really Barclay's heart, right? Is he, in throughout the, the book, in both books, he's... He's backing up what he says with scripture. He's trying to find out, okay, so if Paul's using this word, grace, gift, uh, how is he using it? And and how should we think about a gift? What was a gift like right. in his time? And what was a good gift or a perfect gift? Mm-hmm. Um, what what did that mean to Paul? What would that mean to a first century listener? So, mm-hmm. so walk us through a little bit, um, his kind of description and study of grace and gifts in, yeah. in the ancient world. Yeah. So what this does is it unlocks a way to study grace and by looking at gift giving in the ancient world um, and just you know putting it on the chopping block, like maybe gift giving in the ancient world was different than we think of gift giving today. And, what? <laughs> and it was. Cultures changed. Um, and it's just, even as you think about the term grace and uh, frame it as a gift, uh, in modern sensibilities, like we think of the most perfect gift, the best gift ever as one that is given without any expectation of return. Mm. We we think of like um, the best gift you can get, the most generous, beautiful gift that you can receive is one that's just lavished on you and mm. uh, there's nothing you can do in return. It's just, you know, and and that's what our modern idea of grace is. As well, mm. right? We think of God's grace in light of this perfect gift as defined in our modern Western society, right? Does that make sense? Mm, like, yeah, like unconditional, undemanding. Right. So we have this kind of modern idea that the best gift is one that doesn't expect return, but this is a very recent modern idea, right? Like, right. Uh, benefaction and gift giving in the ancient world was actually the opposite of that. And so 
Um, as we look, I mean, this is what Barclay does. He looks at kind of gift giving in the ancient world and um, shows this through several examples. One prime is Seneca, who wrote a short little book on benefits. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole book is about gift giving and what was kind of normative in, in that time. And what you see is that reciprocation or reciprocity was the norm. Like mm-hmm. when someone gave a gift in the ancient world, they were giving it with the expectation that there would be a return gift because the purpose of the gift was to perpetuate this relationship, mm-hmm. uh, to form a social bond so that it wasn't just one directional. It was two directional to create a relationship. Right. Right. Um, and, and they would is, actually and, and they would see the lack of a return gift as a negative thing. Right. right. Whereas we would say a gift without a return gift is the best kind of gift. They would say that's an incomplete gift, right? Right. So we would see like corruption and kind of graft um, or bribery in this reciprocal gift giving. Mm-hmm. Like if I gave you a gift with the expectation you would give me one in a turn, in return, kind of our modern Western sensibilities would be like, that's corrupt. You're manipulating mm-hmm. them kind of thing. Right. And the opposite is true in the ancient world. If they gave a gift and then refused to receive one in return, they would be manipulating them, almost enslaving the other person, where they would perpetually right. be in their kind of like um, good graces. Like a social debt. Like yes. they're in social debt. Yeah. Like you're in social debt with me. So um, an, a non-circular gift in the ancient world uh, was corrupt, was mm. deteriorating um, the social bond that they intended with gift giving. And, and, you know, there are still some cultures, right? You can speak to this where circularity is the norm in gift giving. Um, I don't yeah. know, maybe you have some yeah. good examples. <clears throat> yeah, like you said, it's that idea of an unconditional gift is kind of a modern and particularly Western idea. Um, even in our context, and I think it's a pretty common phenomenon throughout the Middle East, is this kind of reciprocity of gift giving when it comes to food. So... Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a neighborhood surrounded by um, local uh, families, and a lot of times they'll, when they cook a big batch of food, they'll they'll bring us uh, a plate full of it and knock on the door. Mm. We come and get it, bring it inside, and it, yeah, it's delicious, <laughs> uh, really good. We love it, but they they always bring it on like like real dishes, you know, like ceramic dishes, mm. um, dishes that are not disposable. Because the expectation is after you eat the food, clean the dish, you're supposed to fill that dish back <laughs> up and send it over. So you, you can't bring back an empty dish and say, hey, here's your dish from when you gave me that food. You have to, you have to fill it up. And what that does is it creates this cycle yeah. where they bring you food, then you bring them food, then they bring you food. And, mm-hmm. it, and that helps maintain the relationship because you're constantly seeing one another, thanking one another for right. food, providing for one another. And yeah, it's, it would... It's not seen as a negative thing, um, right. that that, but it's seen as a positive thing. Like main, like you said, maintains relationship. Mm-hmm. And now, often what happens for us is there's a counter in our kitchen that starts filling up with empty dishes because all these neighbors <laughs> bring us food because we're you know because we're kind of still young, don't have children yet, and so they kind of see us as um, dependents <laughs> in a way, <laughs> and so they Sweet. bring us a lot of food, and so we have all these empty dishes, and then we gotta you know my wife will. She'll bake 
um, some treats and we'll fill them up or, mm. you know, we'll, sh- or she'll make a meal that we think they might like and we'll fill it up. And then we try to like take all the dishes back, but it does, it maintains that relationship. So yeah, yeah. it still happens today, especially in the East and, and the global South, yeah. I think. And that's the context for, I think what Paul's writing in the first century Christian community is talking about charis or grace or gifts. Like it's mm. this, this is the norm or the assumption for them. So, right. I think that's the other part of like unraveling some of the sensitivity with grace is just say, look, we have assumptions about what grace and gift giving are and the scriptural writers have assumptions based on their context and culture. And um, we should grant uh, the assumptions of that time and culture to the default position when interpreting, meaning we should assume that Paul was probably speaking in his cultural river. It doesn't mean that, that he has to speak that way or that he can't go against the norms of his day but when interpreting we should assume the default was reciprocity and gift giving right um thank you so much for listening we would greatly appreciate if you just took a moment to give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really goes a long way in helping more people find us online. Also, check out our website at learninglaborers.wordpress.com. We are compiling some resources there and writing an occasional blog to help laborers in the ministry. So be sure to check that out as well. For now, let's get back to the episode. So, so talk about talk about the the big, you know, capital G grace, the big capital G gift that is mm. the Christ gift or the gift of salvation. Yeah. What does it What does it mean to view that through this lens of reciprocity of yes gifts being given with expectations? Because I think that that can cause nervousness, right? Right, especially among our Protestant brothers and sisters, right. Uh, of of not wanting to slip into some kind of works based right. salvation where we're earning our salvation or earning the Christ gift through things mm-hmm. we've done. So maybe mm-hmm. can you can you kind of help us distinguish between an undeserved gift and an unconditional gift, and Ooh. kind of help us understand how Barclay Barclay um, sees the Christ gift in yes. in those terms. Yeah. So. Another really, really helpful thing about Barclay's work is he applies, he develops and applies this analytical tool to kind of sort through um, defining grace throughout history. He's mm. disambiguating this term grace, right? It's it's collapsed into all these other things and people haven't really defined what they're talking about with grace. So what he's done is he's developed this analytical tool to say, we all think of grace a little bit differently. And one of the ways to think about it is we kind of perfect certain aspects of God's gift or favor in order to determine um, what we're talking about. I won't get into the details with that. It is helpful. Yeah. But um, basically, he's asking, what's the best possible gift? Right. Like, if something is the best gift, what is that gift like? Right. And so he says you can perfect it or think about the perfect gift in a few different categories. I'll give a few. One is like you can think of the most perfect gift as like, the most abundant 
gift, like the best mm. thing, like most abundant thing you can receive. Um, so there's the perfection of superabundance. Mm. Um, the one that Paul really emphasizes, we'll just skip to this one, is something called the incongruity of grace. He perfects this idea that the gift that we've received in Christ is one that is uh, incongruous with what we deserve. Or it's, um, what's another synonym for incongruous? Not incompatible. Discrepant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> undeserving, right? Undeserving mm. is a, is another good term for it. So it's like the gift of Christ was given to people that didn't deserve it mm. or just indiscriminately. Like this is, Paul has been radically kind of um, caught up in this idea that people who didn't deserve the grace of God or meet any sort mm. of preconditions to receive the gift mm. of Christ have received it in Christ. It's part of the part of the reason why he is so passionate about Gentiles don't need mm. to become Jews to receive the grace. Exactly. They don't need to get circumcised to receive, but that Paul mm-hmm. he sees everyone as eligible receivers of the grace of God, whether Jew exactly. or Greek. Slave or free, man, woman, poor, rich. He says, no one really deserves it. Mm-hmm. So, because but because it's it's indiscriminate, God's willing to give it to anyone. Anyone can receive it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good. Now, that's not a scandalous thing to say in a in a Protestant church or in Protestant theology, right? right? Um, Luther author also like kind of one of the fathers of Protestant thought. Martin Luther also saw this and picked up the, on this yeah. and ran with it, rightfully so. But what we have to recognize is that um, Paul also saw um, reciprocation tied up in the Christ gift. Whereas we start to think that grace entails, like the most perfect gift is that it's non-circular, mm. Paul n- does not perfect grace that way. He doesn't talk about the Christ gift as a um, non-circular gift. Um, we assume that he does because of our, again, our modern notions of gift giving and what a good best gift is, but looking specifically at Mm. texts and Paul, you, you see that that's not the case, Mm. right? Like he has, and this is, this is where we start to, to really seep into and kind of put on, uh, the, the pressure on some of our, um, health theology, but Paul seems to say that we have received the Christ gift and this gift beckons a sort of response to God. Mm. Um, And I think the best way to summarize that response is faith and love. Mm. The response that we are to give, having received the Christ gift, we are to respond to God with faith and love. Um, And we got to, even disentangle some of that that language with faith and love, but yeah, um, just putting it back in its ancient context, it's the same kind of benefactor relationship. Faith isn't necessarily just believing in God; it's giving loyalty to Him, yeah, or thankfulness, gratitude, um, uh, but also like allegiance and uh, trust and loyalty to Him. Um, but Paul also has this other idea, um, that. This faith 
uh, creates something where it doesn't extend just back to God. It also extends to other people in love. In Galatians, I believe five or six, Paul says, faith working through love. So our loyalty back to God also expresses in love and goodness towards other people. And that's where I think Barclay's work is groundbreaking because what he's showing is, Mm. yes, there's this kind of uh, benefactor relationship where God has given his people the Christ gift and in response, he wants their faith, uh, their loyalty, their allegiance. But if that gift is truly received, it will also create love. It will also Mm. create a new society marked by the Christ gift of God's goodness and whatnot. And that's some of the nuance of Barclay's work that I think is really beautiful. But just I'm going to wind it back one more time and just say this is this is where we need to kind of recenter the conversation for pastors is when we're talking about grace and we're talking about the Christ gift, mm-hmm. um, we have to be careful to say that there's no strings attached to that. We just have to be careful in in saying that that doesn't mean God expects anything from us. Um, kind of this easy believism or like, uh, you know, decisionism. God just wants you to receive that grace. There's no strings attached, and uh, you can just kind of carry on with your life. No, God wants. When to... you say when you say careful in saying those things, you mean careful not to say those right. things is what you mean. <laughs> careful not to say those things. Okay. Because I think we're violating um, specifically how Paul has framed up grace, um, but how the New Testament wants us to think of of the gift of of receiving Christ. God wants to perpetuate a relationship. He wants to create a new social bond with you. He wants to bring you into a relationship. And to be brought into a relationship with Christ, with God, is to be transformed. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that transformation uh, is necessary to receiving the gift because to truly mm. receive the Christ gift, the person of Christ is to receive the spirit, right. Yeah. And to be transformed from the inside out to love other people. So it's like yeah. the gift itself is tied up in whether or not it's reciprocated. Like you yeah. cannot have received Christ and not loved. Right. Yeah. It enables the receiver to reciprocate. Right. In love and faith, and and I I think Barclay would probably say, correct me if I'm wrong, faith and love being responses to God, but then also to the the family of God, right? Mm-hmm. To brothers right. and sisters around us. That part of the way we reciprocate God's gift is by being generous to those around us. Kind of that mm-hmm. idea of He loved first, but that means we love him back, but also we love others, that that's part of our response. You can see this really, really well if you read 2 Corinthians like 6 through 9 really closely. You'll see that Paul will talk about, hey, if you've received the gift, then give to others. Mm. Like if you've received Christ and the grace of God, and some of it's hidden because we don't see the chorus language that's all throughout there. It's Mm -hmm. translated differently in English. But if you look at the chorus language, what you'll see is Paul describes what could be called a circle of charis or a circle of grace or a cycle of the gift. Hmm. And I'll actually pull up this quote, uh, what Barclay says. This is on page 133 of his shorter volume, Paul and the Power of Grace. He says, the different uses of charis, 
uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, suggests that divine grace flows through believers and is expressed in their giving to others. And that the momentum of this flow generates thanks to God and recognition of the source of the gift. So this is the circle of grace from God in Christ through and among believers and back to God in Chorus or what we call Eucharistia, the mm. Eucharist Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, so I think that that sets up a better frame for what is happening with grace in the New Testament. Yeah. It's this gift of Christ himself given to us that transforms us to live like him, to pour out that same, you know, uh, love to other people. And this Mm -hmm. ultimately is what God wants in terms of Thanksgiving is Mm. love being outworked in and among his people. And this is why Barclay will say that the Christ gift is like remapping the world because Mm. as it's received, it transforms people to live out the very gift giving of God. They become generous, like yep. God is generous. Yep. That's really good. And the beautiful it's, thing about that, as you kind of said, was that it maintains relationship. It's not mm-hmm. God comes down and gives this gift, we receive it, and then that's the end of the story. Right. But that God gives us this gift. And again, important to emphasize, it is completely undeserved that mm-hmm. that, that, that um, part of our framework, I think, remains intact after Barclay, that, that, that the gift... Yep. And it's really important to Paul that the gift is undeserved, this incongruity, um, but that it does come with expectations, not as kind of like these arbitrary demands of, you know, an, an overlord or an overbearing, you know, slave master. Of, now you're in my debt and now you have to work your way out of it. But mm-hmm. as this beautiful um, way of maintaining relationship with those who've received the gift. Mm-hmm. That he gives, and then he wants you to give back to him and to others, so that you can continue receiving, right. and continue giving, and continue receiving. That it's this cycle that's that's really beautiful. Right, 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 right. And I think there's like kind of a a line just from that's been made famous by his work, which is, um, "Grace is unconditioned, meaning it's received without prior conditions, but it's mm-hmm. not unconditional." Like we receive the Christ gift um, with no preconditions in order to receive it, but it's not unconditional. So Mm -hmm. um, the gift is entirely undeserved, but it's strongly obliging on the people that receive it. Um, Sure. I think holding both of those uh, together is, is the key to really understanding what Paul is getting at when he's talking about, about grace. And I mean, just another simple way to talk about this is that the grace of God transforms us, which is a little more popular, like of a notion, like we think of grace as transformative. Mm -hmm. So if we do receive Christ, we are trans, like there's no, like, there's no, there should be no category for receiving Christ and the spirit and not being transformed. Another way to say that there's no category for receiving the gift of God and not extending that in love to other people. Um, right. And what Barclay has done is just teased that out uh, in a way that's really helpful and also kind of disentangled some of our ambiguities with grace and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think I think for some, again, it might create some tension at first. 
his ideas, reading through Barclay, trying to come to terms with what is a perfect gift, you know, is it reciprocal Mm. or not and all that. But I think in the end, Barclay's work and this kind of reframing of grace in our our minds and our theology, it helps relieve tension that we have when we read the text Mm. because we'll come across passages right. <laughs> in which Jesus can say something like, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You know, that Jesus can say like, I need you to do what I say. Like, I need you to obey my commands. <laughs> right. Um, and Paul can give commands to people, right? Right. Um, I think it helps relieve the tension mm-hmm. in that way because it helps us realize like, yes, the grace was undeserved but it's not unconditional. That is, there's still expectations of those who receive it, mm-hmm. the way that they behave, the way that they act, the way that they treat other people. Um, there's expectations. Right, right. I mean, one of the tensions that I think it res- resolves or at least gives some more understanding to is Romans 2, where Paul says we're judged by our works. Like at the day of mm. judgment, we're going to be judged by our works. And there's a history of Protestant interpretation that tries to figure out how how Paul doesn't say that. Um, but I think if you put it in this grace framework, it makes perfect sense. Paul's not saying that we're saved by our own merits or our own mm-hmm. earnings. It's it's He's saying if we've received the Christ gift and been transformed by it, then um, our works will show that on the day yeah. of judgment. And it's, it's, um, it's this beautiful way of talking about like, yes, we receive the gift at first and there's this incongruity. Like, Christ um, is perfect and good and I am not, but yet I get to receive the Christ gift. So there's this incongruity upon receiving the gift, but upon reciprocating the gift, there is congruity. We become like Christ. So the Christ gift takes something that's incongruous, us and Jesus, and it makes us congruous or, Mm. you know, incompatibility with, with the very gift we've received. And so it does unlock a lot of things, I think, in Scripture. Yeah, I think so. That we have, you know, maybe tried to figure ways around and whatnot. But here's here's two things I want to close out with. One, how how do we turn this and bring this into our ministry context? And how do we talk about this? Um, And then two, what are some ways that you can kind of get into this at various levels? We don't just want to suggest that everyone read Paul and the Gift. It's... (laughs) some dense stuff Um, but thankfully this has been distilled in a few different channels and we can point people to those channels great so first how can you turn this and bring it to your ministry context. I think for like, what consequence does this conception of grace have uh, for Paul and how we serve and do Mm -hmm. ministry? Uh, I think it has a lot of consequence, but we have to figure out how to bring that about. Mm -hmm. And um, so the first thing I would say is just recognize that assumptions are really, really powerful. Like assumptions are super powerful. If you're going to get at, um, you know, how to frame up grace in Paul, you're going to have to deal with people's assumptions about mm-hmm. grace in Paul. Most, I think, of our difficulties with 
uh, bringing scholarship or new ideas or fresh readings of scripture to people has to do with with challenging people's long-held assumptions. So figuring out how to enter into those sensitive areas mm-hmm. um, graciously, no pun intended right. there, um, <laughs> is, is really key to that. And there's a pastoral quality to that. There's a relational quality to that that I think we should be really, really mindful of. Do you have any other comments on just yeah. on assumptions? Well, and I think, like I said, for pastors and teachers, hopefully they have their finger on the pulse of mm-hmm. the congregation. They they kind of know where people are at, um, what they value, the language mm-hmm. that they use, the things that are going to make them nervous. And maybe a pastor or teacher is listening to this is going to go pick up Barclay's work, read through it, love it. I'm all into this idea of grace. But then the challenge becomes, how do I bring my people along with me in a way that's, like you said, like gracious to them, like showing grace to them (laughs) that they may not, you know, be so excited about Barclay's (laughs) new framework to think about grace. Um, I think I would say, again, it's so important to keep scripture in like the center of this to show that it's not, this Mm -hmm. isn't some like newfangled idea. Um, This is actually an ancient idea and Barclay believes. And, and I would agree. I think you would agree that I think this framework is more faithful to Mm -hmm. what Paul is trying to say in the new Testament, what Jesus is trying to say in the new Testament, that if that, if we can frame the conversation that way, that let's really understand what Paul's trying to say. Um, right. I think that I think that that's really key to help bring people along, and again, being aware of where they're at and not rushing, uh, you know, right. the conversation, but but walking alongside them and help bring them along. Yeah, that's one of the second keys of key aspects of advice I'd give is just to ascend the hill of this one step at a time. Like you don't have to rush this mm-hmm. process. Um, like to reorient your people on this and to re-educate them can feel like climbing a mountain. We just tried to distill it in 30 minutes or so, you know, and it felt, <laughs> it was, it was mm-hmm. tough. Um, but I know in my context, it's sometimes just a battle to convince people that newer books and scholarship it, like is valuable at all. And so like yeah. that might need to be the step that you're taking. Yeah. Like, oh, like why would I care about what a guy says in 2015? We've known about sure. grace, you know. At least since 1500s and Martin Luther. At least since Luther. <laughs> yeah, they would say. But, um, you know, I think it's just part of that pastoral and relational quality to it that you don't rush it and you take it one step at a time. And figuring out what yeah. those steps are that are needed is really, really important. And maybe for some it means maybe starting with a different topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that because this one's so close to the center, the heart mm. of, you know, our theology that maybe test the waters. If, if you don't have a congregation that um, kind of already has a culture of, of learning and reexamining mm-hmm. ideas and that kind of thing, maybe start with a topic that's less central and see how people respond, see how people feel. Um, and then maybe that can give you a, mm-hmm. an idea of what the pace you need to go with right. the grace conversation. I think just towards you know, and there's there's a give or take. Maybe you start with like this big central idea and then you let it trickle down because things start mm-hmm. to lock in place. Um, 
But as you're taking those small steps, I think you don't have to force the implication, all the implications on the front end. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like if you start to tweak with like, well, grace in the ancient world or gift giving in the ancient world was reciprocal. You don't have to then say, and so you are not saved. <laughs> you know, like, I'm saying, <laughs> like you don't have to jump all the way to the implications, like allow that to be explored. And I think this is more of my preference and my experience. Like I've seen much more benefit in letting other people work towards the mm. implications rather than like front loading it with all these things. Like, the sermon series on Genesis one through three, like presenting the whole temple inauguration in Genesis one. Yeah. Um, from John Walton. I didn't like immediately start saying like, Oh, the Bible isn't a science book. Right. That's one of the implications to that is like actually reading scripture for what it is, but you don't have to front load everything with the farthest implication that is most controversial. <laughs> right. Know? Just cut people's legs out from under him. Right. Oh, not... There's wisdom in that. That's good. Um, Let me ask this. How do you see kind of more on a pastoral level? What does this framework do? Um, not just for the way we talk about and think about grace, but for how the church actually behaves like mm. for you as a pastor, yeah. thinking about grace in this new way, how does it change the way that people interact with each other? The, how does it change the way that churches interact with each other? You know, like mm. you were saying, Paul had this idea in Corinthians that, grace gifts should be being given between these congregations in different cities like mm -hmm. i don't know what do you see any implications for this idea of grace for how the church actually behaves and interacts yeah and i think um you know barclay does a great job of showing how like those big practical sections at the end of galatians and like romans 12 through mm -hmm. 15 16 they're informed by this grace paradigm like yeah Paul's commandments to the church to love one another, to seek the honor of one another, to not, you know, um, seek hierarchy or like an authoritative dominance over each other. Like all of his social implications flow from the fact that God has incongruously given the gift of Christ to everybody. Mm. And this, I mean, this explains why Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free you know, male and female, he's saying those social hierarchies don't exist anymore. Treat one another with love and, um, you know, just outdo one another in generosity. I think it's because mm. of the view of God that he has, who has given generously in the Christ gift. And so to ask what the implications of this for our behavior is like, <laughs> it's huge. It's, yeah. it's absolutely huge. But I've started to use the word generosity a lot more with my people mm. and just think of my life that way. Like, how can I be generous today? Like, how can I be a giving person? How can I give of myself? Because yeah. we have a God who gave himself to us. Yeah. And I think as, you know, pastors, ministry laborers, like thinking how you can give yourself to your people, like to serve them at, in a way that's just generous. Yeah. Um, I've started to, to notice that generosity is, has been a big key in enacting yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that Barclay's point that for Paul, God's grace is ultimately a person. It is Jesus. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like Christ is the gift. He is the grace. I think that the fact that that kind of con makes it concrete yeah, that's really good. 
helps us to also think concretely about mm. how we're being generous and gracious. Like, because it's right. easy to talk about God's grace very abstractly. Yes. And then to talk about our grace for others abstractly, like it's kind of just this disposition towards others. Mm. Um, or like you said earlier, just think of it as being merciful. But when, when it's concrete, like what am I going to give to this person? Not, not right. necessarily money. Maybe it's money. But, you know, maybe it's time. I'm going to give him an hour of my time. Maybe mm -hmm. it's, you know, but like making that concrete, I think is really helpful. Right. And inspires a lot of that generosity. Totally. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's one of the things I've noticed in asking people, like, when you think of grace, what do you think of? And it's like this thing distinct from God that he has given. Like, yeah. God gives us grace. And God is almost like this mechanism for how we get grace, you know? And almost like God is yeah. the, it's like almost transactional. Like, God has given us grace, like this commodity. Right. Um, but grace, like to your point, it's the giving of himself in Christ himself. Like the grace of God is Christ. Yeah. The thing that we could That's receive right. from God is not just mercy and an abstract favor. It is Christ himself. And like, mm -hmm. that's better than any gift we can receive. Not just, you know, Amen. a good life or a ticket to heaven or to like a, you know, any sort of benefits we could list out. Like Jesus himself is the greatest benefit, greatest gift. That's that's something to reframe for people as well. That's all really good. So finally, let's um, give give our listeners kind of next steps. Let's say yes, they're intrigued by what you said. They want to read Barclay for themselves, see what this is all mm -hmm. about. Uh, where would you point them? Well, I think there's ways for everyone, um, not just scholars and students or ministry laborers, to study Barclay's work or to benefit from it. Good. And the big... The big book that he came out with, which is like, it's dense. It's written to a, a scholarly audience. Um, he he already distilled this into a shorter work in 2020 called Paul and the Power of Grace. It's short. It's I don't even think it's 200 pages. I think it's less than 150 pages. And it's for the purpose of making it more accessible to people. So mm -hmm. it's still more on the academic side. Um, but it, it's more approachable, and uh, I think that's a good place to start. Like, if you can't dive into a big 500-plus page book right. written to an academic audience, which isn't everybody. <laughs> Most um, of us cannot dive into that, I think, I would say. <laughs> yes, and and uh, there's definitely parts to skim in that book as well, but there's a shorter <laughs> one that um, I know, like, I was prepping for a, a sermon on Ephesians 2, where you have some of those big ideas about faith and grace and yeah. there's works in there even, and salvation. Um, I picked up Paul and the Power of Grace and and worked my way through it. Uh, and I think it was really, really beneficial to how I preached that sermon. So I think mm -hmm. there's some benefit there. Now, even if you are like, well, these books are still a little bit dense. Uh, Matthew Bates is someone that can help. He wrote a book called Gospel Allegiance. And in one of the chapters mm -hmm. in Gospel Allegiance, he actually summarizes Barclay's work really well. So okay. you, you miss out on Barclay's exposition of Galatians and Romans, which I think is beautiful, but you can still catch his central argument and then some. So you have three levels of engagement there. You can read sure. a huge book and 
you know, hold it as a trophy in your office <laughs> um, <laughs> and catch all the nuances of Barclay's argument, which they're, they're great. You could read his shorter distilled work um, or you can read a chapter in another great book by Matthew Bates called Gospel Allegiance. I think mm-hmm. those are three entry points into the pool of grace. You know, you can jump right into the deep end with Paul and the gift. You could test the waters, maybe waist deep with Paul and the power of grace, or you can start in the the shallow end with Bates's chapter in Gospel Allegiance. Um, and my su- really my suggestion is start where you can, and then maybe do a couple laps there. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> That's good. And we'll uh, we'll include links to all three of those in the show notes that yeah. you can click and uh, grab a copy of those. Well, Taylor, I want to thank you for walking us through this topic. It was a lot of fun. I tried. Yeah, I, I tried. <laughs> no, you did. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we hope that you, the listeners, have enjoyed it. And, um, well, we will um, try to think of some other topics that we can bring to the podcast other mm-hmm. scholars and topics that have really impacted our our learning our journeys um, mm-hmm. and we also would love to hear from you listeners if there's a topic or a scholar that you'd like us to spend some time with on one of these episodes uh, send us send us suggestions uh, learning laborers at gmail.com you can get a hold of us give us your suggestions and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until next time Taylor, go in the grace of God. Oh, wow. Grace and peace to you, Denver. Grace and peace. (laughs) All right, man. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, that was good. Well, that concludes our episode for this week. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We hope you glean some some good insight for your ministry or your scholarship or hopefully both because it's really our goal here at the learning laborers to create a space uh, where ministry experience and scholarship can overlap uh, in the lives of individual people like you Uh, so we want to thank you for listening we want to thank everyone who supports us and helps make the podcast possible if you're interested in supporting our efforts check out our patreon link in the show notes where you can sign up to join us for as little as $3 per month. It's our prayer that through this content, more laborers in the fields of ministry can feel resourced to point their people to Jesus through their study of scripture. So continue to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts.